So last week, we started this series on love. And as I mentioned from the get-go, it's important to get the full context or else you may get confused in some of this, thrown off a little bit here and there. Um, And it's important to make sure that as we work through how God defines the word love and cultures define love, that we make sure that we get the correct definitions. Uh, we, we talked last week about a few different variations of love that was popular throughout centuries, even in the culture back in Jesus' time. And we're going to deal with another word. I was actually going to try to do two today, but there was so much that was in the word that we're going to deal with today, so I'm going to hold off the other one for next week. I really didn't want to do um, the last word injustice, if you will. Uh, but before we begin, I do want to ask, and this is kind of um, possibly a, a, a question that you may not have asked yourself in a while, um, what, was the la- what was it like when you first understood what love was like when you met your spouse, for those of you that are married? What was it like for you? What were the feelings? What was the excitement like? What was it like to meet the one that you believed you were going to spend the rest of your life with? Has that feeling changed over the years? Has that excitement, thrill gone away? You see, I dare say many of us may answer in the affirmative on that. Yes, it has. But what if I was to say that that's not all there is to love? What if I was to say that maybe the things that we felt in the beginning are not the ultimate? What if I was to say that there's a word today that we're going to cover that I think a lot of our marriages need to recover? This is a word that I think, if we were to be honest with ourselves, many of us as we have children and they grow older, tend to forget. This word for love is going to be one that I believe is one of the biggest things that's missing in a lot of marriages. I'm going to make that statement this morning. I believe that this word for love is going to be the very thing that will rekindle a dying marriage. This word for love is what we should be teaching our children when they get to the point of dating someone. Because if we're going with the ones that we covered last week, they will not hold up long term. The erotic love that the world paints for us as the ultimate romantic love is not going to last. And how do we know that? Well, the proof is in the pudding. Look at culture. Look at Hollywood. How many of their marriages last a lifetime? You see, here's one thing that I think is very tragic for us as parents is that we look at the world and we know it's wrong, and yet we don't look in the Word to find out how to do it right. We know something's off, but we don't want to fix what's wrong in our own lives. How many of you have ever stayed up late and thought of the things you wish you did differently in the past? How many of you have ever gotten up in the middle of the night and this one thing was on your mind that bothered you tremendously? How many of you during the day stopped what you were doing and you just started thinking about something that happened in your past? Anybody ever have that happen? 
You see, every single one of us, we have regrets. You know, the, the person that says, I don't regret anything in my life is lying. Okay? They're lying. They're not telling you the truth. Now, would you learn from those things that you've done wrong? Of course you have. And of course you can. But I don't believe that everything we've done wrong is something we would want to repeat, if you will. So as we look at God's word this morning, I just want to kind of recap some of the things we've talked about. We looked at eros and some of the facts about that. It's a word that we define by erotic and romantic feelings that we have for someone. It's a common definition of love when others, we tell others we are in love. This, word, this view of love is almost exclusively based on emotions. So like, like I said, we're just recapping from last week. This word for love is actually not found in the Greek New Testament translation of scripture, though Christians and non-Christians alike agree that this is something that they relate to. We talked about the fact that as a warning, this view of love can be indistinguishable from lust or passion for someone else because our emotions can change based on the circumstances. That's one of the reasons we said you, someone can be in love and then absolutely hate the person two years later. We, we're confused. It's because it's not based on the right things. Eros, love, is ultimately about what it can get, not what it can give. It's based on what it can get, not what it can give. Now, we talked also about the fact that it's important to mention, Scripture is not against romance. It's not against romance. And how do we know that? Well, there's a book called Song of Solomon, if you've ever read it. Clearly states that that love exists, and we don't need much more to say about that if you, you're, you're questioning whether that, yes, it's there. And that is between a husband and a wife, it's appropriate and biblical. Then we talked about storge. Some facts about storge. This is a word for familial devotion. This is the natural love that a parent has for their child. This is when the little baby is born and the parents, though he might not be that attractive, oh, isn't he cute? Or isn't she cute? How many of you have seen babies and sometimes they're not really the cutest? We just don't admit that, right? Like when our kids are born, we're like, oh, isn't he adorable? All right, yeah, yeah. That's familial love, though. We have that natural love that God's given to us for our children. You know, many of us, and that's one of the reasons I think it is interesting, people say, well, you know, should you read books on parenting? Should you read? I think those are all helpful. But in some sense, you're going to have a love that's just naturally given to you by God. This is a natural affection that a father or mother has for their child, or children have for their parents. This is one of the reasons why we talked about the fact that parents may not be getting along. They may not be getting along, but ultimately they still care for the kids. They still want to have a connection with their children. This view of love involves emotions, but conditions are usually not attached. Typically, parents that have a healthy love for their children, it's a God-given, enabled love. A person may not be in the Word, but still love their children the way they ought to. Because it's a natural love that God's given parents. But I want us to move on to a love that I think has been lost in a lot of our relationships. I think it's lost in the church. I think it's lost in the home. I think it's lost in our relationships with others outside. And that word is phileo. 
Some facts about phileo. This word for love is defined as friendship or brotherly love. Friendship or brotherly love. This love is built over time and exhibited through feelings of trust, high regard, or deep affection as a close friend. How many of us have had those friends? Where you just have a high regard for those people. When you think of that person, even if you haven't seen them in years, you have a high regard for them. How many of you have friends that if you haven't talked for five years, you could just meet them tomorrow and you'll get right back to where you were before? Those are the friendships that I'm talking about here. This is a person we've built a connection with as a companion over life's journey. Now, phileo is different from storge in that this is usually built with someone we have met along life's journey with us. I say usually because it's interesting how the word is used throughout scripture. We're going to get to some of that later on. There are certainly people that come along in our path of life that we just instantly connect with. You ever met someone like that? You just met them the first time and you just built a connection. You know, whether it was somebody that you liked and you're a conservative and they're a conservative, boom! Connection. Whether it was your team is the same team that they like, boom! I like the Patriots, you like the Patriots, great! What did you think of that trade last week? And just you built a relationship right there instantly. Now, I hope that's not the only thing you talk about because that would eventually wane, if you will. These are people that when we start talking to them, for some reason, we just have a high regard for them instantly. And as the relationship is built, we find a lot of things in common. Now, here's the thing that's important with this view of love is there are a lot of friendships that are formed where people have a lot of things in common and they're great friends, but what's terrible is when they develop friendships where they're actually toxic people that are friends. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. They're those friends that Solomon warns his son about in Proverbs. They're those people you should be staying away from, and yet we still form really close bonds We give excuses like, well, that's just them, when people ask us why we're friends with them. And when we question it ourselves, we just go back to that affection that we have for them and go, they're fine, they're okay. These are the people that, we like the things they like. We like the music they like. We may be raising kids the same way they do. We start our careers off together. There are people that maybe you meet when you start your career together. I mean, for some of us that are Bible folks, the same theologians. You like J. Mac, I like J. Mac. Yes. Good friendship formed. This love responds with a deep sense of appreciation for the other friend or companion we're connected with. This love responds with a deep sense of appreciation for the friend or companion that we're connected with. Now here's what's important. This view of love sees beyond the shallow eros view, which is very much about one's own happiness. Remember we talked about the fact that romantic feelings are typically one-sided. 
I feel a certain way for you because I'm attracted to you and you're going to give me something that I like. This is the basis for a lot of marital relationships. And if you're going to stay on that view of love, it'll never go anywhere. This view of love, when it comes to phileo, is about our happiness, not my happiness. A spouse cares about what makes their spouse happy, not just what makes them happy. This is where we're excited on behalf of our spouse when we see them excited. This is where it makes our day to make our spouse smile. Do you see how this is different than Eros? Now, there's some warnings, though, with this love. What are the warnings? We're going to look at some texts of Scripture here in a little bit. With phileo being about both people's best in the relationship, if only one is constantly giving, this love will not be found in that relationship at some point. If only one person is constantly giving of themselves, this view of love goes away. This is the reason why in marriages that one of the spouses, usually a lady does, because typically for some reason men don't understand this as as well as women do, we're no longer friends. We don't like doing the same things anymore. Remember when we were dating, we used to. That's that statement that comes out in a marriage sometimes. Can I argue that one of the things that I think is the biggest frustration for a lot of couples is the fact that they have no sense of commonality over the years sometimes? Do you see how this view of love, because you're supposed to share something in common, completely dissipates when you no longer have things in common? Here's what's tragic. We have sometimes more things in common with people outside of our marital relationship than we do in our relationship, in our marriage. Gentlemen, I'm speaking as a man that I know have failed in this area. Your spouse should have things in common with you, and you should stop letting your buddies take all your time. And other people. You are to develop that friendship with her. I'm to develop that friendship with my wife. We are to make sure that we get back to this in our marriages if we're saved individual godly people. You see, here's what I do know for a fact, and most people tell me this, I'm not the age of some of you in here, but most of the people that I've seen that are much older, they typically tell me the eros love goes away after a while sometimes. It's not as cute as it used to be. You don't have the same exact wonderful butterflies that you used to have. There's nothing wrong with stating that. I just think that if that's what our culture is defining love, we need more. Many people consider themselves to have a friendship or companion in life, but as they look back, they only see themselves or the other giving in that relationship. This is not comfortable. It's not comfortable because I found this is probably the hardest love to really discuss in a home. 
You see, the eros love is very selfish. It's very much about yourself. The friendship, the phileo love, seeks the best of the other person and our happiness together. It isn't either or. Does that make sense? It's about both of us. I think there's a reason why God calls us to another level of love that we're going to talk about next week. Because we all have failed one another in this one. And if anyone, any one of us was to be honest, even when it comes to our relationship with others, there are times where one seems to be only giving and the other is only taking. And sometimes we reverse roles. Because here's what happens sometimes. We feel guilty. I screwed up. Haven't been the kind of person I need to be to my spouse. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do things differently now. And that lasts for a little while, and we go back to our old ways again. We need to be honest with ourselves and stop looking at this through a selfish Felucia love, which is narcissistic, and understand that maybe, very well maybe, that we don't have the friendship we thought we have. But we'd rather have a self-serving relationship that we think will fill the inner need that we have inside. Look, let me, let me be practical for a second. This love is necessary in any, in any closeness that you have with other people. Whether it's somebody in this church, whether it's in your home. But if you assume that the person's going to fill your most inner need, you're going to be very frustrated. You can have a lot of things in common, but after a while, those things in common aren't going to be the glue that binds you together. Marriage is a covenant, and those feelings go up and down, and you know that. There's a reason why we love each other one day, and the next day we want to stay away from our spouse for a little bit. Okay? Don't tell me you've never experienced that one. Many people think they're, give, they're the one that's giving in a relationship, but if we were to dig, some of us would not be truthful about that. We're actually quite selfish. Here's how I know. Let's put it practical in the church. We want people to call us to check in on us. We want others to remember our special moments in life. We get upset when people don't notice we are what we're wearing that day. Oh, people didn't notice the new car we bought. How many people liked our post on Facebook? Whether it was scripture or not. So have we asked how many of the very things we complain about are lacking in ourselves? That's the question I have for a lot of us. You see, a lot of people say, I can't really be friends with certain people. I don't really want to get around certain people. I, 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 I can't develop those friendships. I can't develop those relationships um, simply because people are like this or churches like this. People are, you know, outside the church are like this. Can I, can I just make it plain for you? In, in order to be a friend, I mean, in order to have friends, you need to be one. That's the biggest problem with all of us. We complain about what others are not doing, and yet we're selfishly standing by and going, someone love on me, please. Someone take care and give me a call, please. Someone write me a letter, please. Someone send me a gift, please. 
Do you see how we don't develop friendships well? Because we're all looking at it from a selfish point of view. You know the reason why certain people in the church are a whole lot easier to help than others? Let me be very practical. They're giving of themselves. And don't tell me these thoughts don't go through your head. They go through mine all the time. There are certain people I'm willing, at the drop of a hat, to help out really quick. And others I'm going, what have they done for anybody else? They're selfish. They don't really care for other people. Let me be more practical in another way here. If you're asking for prayer constantly but never praying for someone else, don't you think that's selfish? If you're asking for money from people and helping that way but you never give, don't you think that's selfish? If you're asking people to visit you but you've never visited anyone else, don't you think that's selfish? How are you supposed to develop friendships in that sense? It's impossible. And that's one of the things that I find sad many times as a pastor is that we don't develop close relationships with other people because we're waiting for everybody else to make the move. It's always everyone else that needs to do it first. I'm going to be that stubborn mule that's going to stand here and wait for everybody else to come my way. And if you don't come my way, it's your fault because I'm so lovable. Let's be real for a second. You see, the reason you're not as close to others is you like to have more of me time than we time. You see, that's how selfish we are. We really don't understand this friendship love that God is talking about here. We want more me time, not we time. Throw that on Facebook. Hashtag. It's true. How many of you, like, you work a long week and it's like, all right, I want to check out. I don't want to talk to anybody else. It's all me. And then when we get to the end of life, we regret that we didn't spend all those times with other people. Folks, I'm, I'm just as guilty as you are. I'm just saying we could do better than this. Agreed? We can do better than this. Let's be real. We'd rather chill and relax than make the effort to connect more frequently with others. Let's just... Put it out there. I work my 40 hours. I need to sit and relax. Sip on my coffee at home. Put on Netflix. Whatever it is you want to watch. Guys, it takes effort to build relationships. It's not automatic. And like texting about the game is not a friendship. I'm sorry. Spend some time with them. Go out. Bring them to your home. I'm going to be very strong on this one. The more and more I hear people complain about how we're not a loving church, the more and more I'm going to ask you, are you doing that for others? The more people will complain to me about not being somebody that people invite or hang out with, the more I'm going to ask, when did you make the time to do it yourself? See, here's the sad part. Let me be practical in another another area here. We have days planned out for ourselves more than we have planned out for others. When was the last time you thought, what would my spouse want to do rather than what I would like to do? What would so-and-so in the church really like? What would mean a lot to them if I did this for them? Rather than, hey, you know, I've had a busy week. I work more than they do anyways. Why should I reach out? 
You know, it's an easy one for us that are go-getters. You know, like, it drives us nuts that some people are not. Like, I, those of you that have been around me long enough, you know that. Like, why can't people do this? Why can't they get this done? Am I loving? Am I compassionate? Do I really care? Or am I only complaining about what others are not doing for me? You see, one of the hardest things for me personally, and, and, and I hate to admit this, but I'm going to admit it right now. One of the hardest things for me personally is to love people and not expect something back. And not expect something back. Because inside of me is a very selfish person that really doesn't like that people don't care about me. It's a nasty side of me that I hate admitting. So, since phileo love is based on feelings of liking or affection towards someone else, it can easily collapse when trust is broken. There's a reason why when you've lost all common interest with other people, that friendship dissipates. It collapses. There's a reason why friendships that have been very close and those people have warm feelings for one another, they, they connect well, it collapses the minute the trust is broken. In fact, sometimes it happens over one off day where we didn't say what we should have said and we regretted it and the other person took it to heart right away and that completely collapsed that whole relationship. This is how you can be friends for years and over one comment made to someone else, you can sever years of friendship and what has been built. In order for this view of love to last, one must constantly pursue greater for the other. You see, if we were all to be honest, we have a very, very wicked heart. A heart that is not as clean as we like to portray it to people. But here are some things that you should try to develop together. And that should keep that friendship, that filet of love together. Developing better character. A closer walk with God. Pushing people to accomplish more in this life. The reason why many people have such shallow relationships which seem to be lacking is because they don't push each other to greater things in life. You know the good friends in your life are the ones that push you to more. Not the ones that are fine with your status quo and we're both miserable together. Isn't the world terrible? Yes. We already knew that. We checked your Facebook. You see, you can't help people that don't want to be helped. A good friend is going to be one that sharpens you. They're going to build you up for more. They're going to want more for you in this life. I've heard this so many times in this church. When people first meet me, they don't like me because I'm like, let's go. You can do better than this. Come on, don't be pathetic. Get better. 
And people think I'm just being unloving, and I don't like them. At the end of the day, I want better for you all, folks. And anybody that's loving has wanted better for me as well. Hey, Roman, you know you said it this way, and I think you came across like this. I need to hear those things. I don't like hearing them. I'm not going, hey, yeah, sure, let's just do a, pin another problem with pastor. You know, like, I want you to tell me, but those are the friendships that help us in life. If neither one of you is pushing the other for more in life, maybe you need someone else that will. I just want to be an encouragement here. If you're constantly known as someone that complains, let me give you this practical piece of advice, okay? Maybe, just maybe, that's why others don't want to get too close to you. In fact, they'll be the next thing you complain about. That's why they stay away. So, what does scripture have to say about phileo love? It's incredible, some of the texts we're going to see here. Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 30, uh, 10, 10, verse 37 says this. He who loves phileo's father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves phileo son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What Jesus is saying here is that your, your affection should be for Christ, should be for God. God and his word should stir you more up than your kids saying something cute at home. You don't disregard what your children have done. You don't not love them. You still should love your children. But God should be a higher priority in your affection. Because if God is a higher priority in your affection, guess what? You're going to be the best parent the kids could have. You're going to be the best spouse your, 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 your husband or wife would have. You'll be the best friend of someone else. John 12, 25. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here's the tragedy. We are stirred up more by what's going on in the world than God himself. Let me be practical for a second. You know, you'll know this is true. How many of you, when you read the news, you're just after a while, just your emotions. Is there anything good in this world to deal with? Is there anything that I could really get energized by? They're just sucking the life out of me. Let me prove it another way. And this was an illustration Doug brought up. We were talking the other day. You get the bonus. This is a positive sense. You get the bonus at work. You're more excited about that than what Jesus has done for you. You're more excited and thrilled. And here's the sad part. We don't even thank God for that. Yeah, I worked hard. You see that performance review? Nailed it. Zalmi. It's tragic. It's tragic. The one who shows a greater affection or liking Jesus is calling disciples to. This is something that's radical. It's not normal for us 
to want the things of God as what Jesus is calling us to. To be stirred more by the things of Christ than everything else. We are to delight in Christ more than anything else on this earth. We're excited by what we get to do for him more than what others have done for us. It should stir you more to be the disciple that says, I'm going to go out of my way and show my love for Christ in how I love other people, in how I love my spouse, in how I love my children, in how I love others that don't even agree with my perspective on life. Matthew 6, 5. Very interesting text. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. He's talking about the Pharisees here. For they love, that's the word that's used here, to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. I sure, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. That's Matthew 6, 5. This is a love that is called out of one's heart as a response to the pleasure one takes in a person or object. These Pharisees loved the reciprocal relationship that they received from praise. In fact, their delight is in the praise of others, and as long as there is praise, they will continue showing off. Should give you some warnings about friendships. If a person always wants an attaboy, here's your warning. Maybe, just maybe, they're not a good friend. Maybe, just maybe, they have that hypocritical, pharisaical side to them. That only wants to be your friend so you can praise them of how wonderful they are. It should come as a warning to all of us to not build our friendships on others' vain praise. For having done something for them that we believe deserves a pat on the back or a post on Facebook. Just want to warn you a little bit on this. We need to be careful when we say phrases like, don't they know what we've done, I've done for them? They don't even care to do that for me. You need to be careful with that. This is why this emotional view of love can crash so easily when it's not reciprocated instantly. You see, some of you, you're so instant and selfish, and I'm like this sometimes, where you literally want the praise, you want the, the uh, gesture back quickly. I've done this for you. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. When are you going to show me you love me? That's not true in our marriage. But I did this the other day. Don't you remember? I did this and this for you. Aren't we selfish? In another text, Jesus refers to the Pharisees loving the best places to sit, but not caring for others in the same way. Look, God gave. You should be a giver, not a taker. This friendship love calls for us to give, not to constantly only take. Yes, there's a give and take. Some of you, you're... you're 
you need to let go of the pride of I will never receive from anyone else. Okay? There's some of you in here, too. But no, I will not take any help from anyone. I would rather pay $300 when a brother can do it for 100 I'm not doing it. Ask. There's proverbial wisdom. It's okay. If somebody in this church can get a task done for you cheaper than the guys out there, do it. What's wrong with that? Pride get in the way? Maybe. Shallow relationships are established between these Pharisees and others that continually praise them for what they're doing. The more the Pharisees do things to impress them, the more praise they get. And it's just the sick cycle. Okay? You can call it a toxic friendship as both, both sides are fueling the other. Jesus showed this friendship love in how he responded when his friend Lazarus died. His heart was stirred. Jesus had a warm, affectionate love for Lazarus. He was great friends with him and his sisters. Jesus had also a very close connection with John, the disciple he loved closely as a friend. It actually should come as no surprise, if you were to study in Scripture, John uses this word the most frequently. Because I think John understood it on a level most people don't. So here's a warning from the Apostle Paul at the end of his letter to the Corinthians that I think we need to take to heart. 1 Corinthians 16, 19-23. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, or in modern American vernacular, holy handshake. The salutation with my own hand, Paul's. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is truly a stunning statement from Paul. A stunning statement from Paul. If you don't have affection or desire for Christ then you are going to have a cursed life. You see, a lot of us, we tend to judge people's emotional response. And those of us that are more emotional than others, we look at people that are not as emotional and we say, oh, that person, they don't love the way I do. And vice versa. Oh, they're all about emotions. They don't get it. The reality is, it should stir our hearts. Whether it's very open is beyond the point. You see, some of you, when you're moved by the gospel, you rejoice, whereas more of you weep. Both are stirred affections. Does that make sense? Both are stirred affections when it comes to the gospel. You see, that's one of the things I think is interesting, is as you look at different cultures, different cultures view this differently. In some cultures, it's exclusive that when you lose a friend, you're crying for days. You're literally crying for days. And it's a public display that you cared. In other cultures, 
There may be tears, but we can't show it. We need to look good. We don't express our emotions here. Can I propose to you that regardless of the emotion, your affections for Christ should be there? It should move you that Jesus did something on your behalf. It should move you that he gave you this opportunity to be a spouse to to your spouse. This opportunity to be a parent to your kids. The idea of blessing and cursing is found throughout all of scripture. And what Paul is doing here is saying, if your affections are not for Christ, guess what kind of life you're getting? A cursed life. There's a reason why Christians are miserable. Here's one of them that Paul tells us clear as day. Their affections are not for Christ. They're not for the things of God. They're for themselves and what they can get out of Jesus rather than what they can give to Jesus. You see how that's a one-sided friendship? Let me give you another hint. Jesus as a friend will always be there. He doesn't go away. You're the one that doesn't want to spend time with him. You're the pathetic friend, and I'm the pathetic friend that doesn't want to take time for him. So, in conclusion, number one, who or what do you find brings you the most satisfaction? Who or what brings you the most satisfaction? Do you get the most satisfaction praise from others? Those closest to you? Your accomplishments? If, we were, if people were to ask what you praise the most, what would that be? If you were to have someone ask, what do you praise the most in your life? What would people say? Is it Christ? Or is it other things? Are you most satisfied in your relationship with Christ? Or are you most satisfied in your relationship with others? You see, here's what's neat. God the Father loved his Son in this affectionate way. Scripture actually tells us that in the text. He holds a dear love for his Son. And calls you to love his son that way as well. The father has mutual interest with his son. And he wants you to have mutual interest with his son as well. That's the beauty of the Trinity. Now if you don't know Jesus Christ or know what we're talking about here. Let me go back to the important point that you need to start with. You're a sinner. You can't save yourself. You need the gospel message, which is Jesus Christ coming in the flesh to die on your behalf. You need to turn from your sin and ask Christ to forgive you. You need to believe that he did that on your behalf and that he rose again the third day. If you didn't raise from the dead, the gospel is worthless. It doesn't mean anything to any of us. We're we're wasting our time here as a church. But if he did and he, he conquered hell and death, then you and I have a place that we're going to spend eternity with him. There is a life after death. And that should matter more than what this life that we live now 
is. So what or who do you find brings you the most satisfaction? Number two, how will you cultivate wholesome relationships with others? This is an introspective question I want you to ask. How will you cultivate wholesome relationships with others? You see, anybody that's actually heard the sermon now is responsible for what they've heard. It's not because Pastor Roman preached, it's because the word calls you to this. Don't assume all your relationships and friendships are what they ought to be. Maybe there are some things you just need to restart. Maybe in our marriages we need to learn to be friends again. Find more in common than the two. Maybe there are other things that we could find more in common that we haven't in a while. Maybe it's the word. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's planning something that we spend together for our happiness. If you've been in a poor companion or friendship with someone else, own it and work on restoring it. Work on restoring that fondness that you once had for that other person. And as a final warning, stay away from toxic relationships. Stay away from people that really do not build you up. Stay away from people that don't call you to pursue holiness as a believer in Christ. If your walk with God is diminishing when you're around certain people in the church, you should stay away from them. I don't care if they're a member of this church. Because that person is going to continually hurt your walk with God. There's a reason why I'm taking discipleship as seriously as I am. Because we as a church, we have a lot to improve in this area. The reason we have not matured in our faith is because we're not stirring our affections for God together. We're not doing what Jonathan Edwards encouraged his church to do. We're encouraging each other in the wrong things many times. The goal should be to get you closer to Christ, not more in love with whatever the world likes. And a lot of those things are good. They're not the best. If we're loving all the stuff God gave us and not caring about who he is, we've missed it. Here's the true point that every one of us needs to take seriously. Jesus is a friend to us even when we are absolutely terrible to him. And we don't deserve that relationship. So in closing, I really want to stress this as a warning. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ that doesn't want to walk with Christ, I hope and pray that God convicts you of that. And if you're someone that's walking with God and you have people that you've built relationships with that tear your relationship with God down, I'm asking and pleading on behalf of Christ and the gospel, stay away from those people. They should be encouraging you more in the word, not less. And some of that may be distractions. It might not always necessarily be sinful behavior. The goal is to stir religious affections for Christ, to have a desire for Him, not less but more. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this reminder through the Apostle Paul that we're to take seriously the affections that we have for Christ. Father, we don't find ourselves excited and thrilled as we ought to be about what you've done for us because we just don't value the gift you've given to us. And if we do value the gift, we don't value the one that gave. Father, we ask that as we close this morning that you would be honored in our lives, that we would take more seriously this love, this friendship love that you've called us to, and that you would rekindle fires that have dimmed in our church, that we would start building relationships with people like we ought to, that we would start being the friend that we want others to be to us. And we ask that you would please make the gospel message more real today than it was yesterday. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.